Greetings, little one. Are you a good witch or a bad witch? Bad witch! I'm not a witch, I'm your wife! What makes you think she's a witch? Well, she turned me into a newt! A newt. What's thou like to live deliciously? Got better. Dost thou comprehend? Welcome to Real Magic, the podcast at the crossroads of real witchcraft and Hollywood magic, where paganism and the supernatural meet their reflections in movies and television, and where we talk about what real magical or life lessons we can learn from fictional witches from 100 years of moving pictures. I'll get you, my pretty, and your little dog, too. Why, hello there, witches and weirdos. Welcome to episode 10 of the Real Magic Podcast. Oh my gosh, we made it to 10 episodes. I'm so excited. That's really cool. So I'm your host, Jessica Mason, and today we're talking about the show that's on every witch's mind right now, The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. I'm really excited for our guest today because it's Joshua Conkle. He's one of the writers on Sabrina. He's also was a writer on Lemony Stickett's A Series of Unfortunate Events, and he identifies as a witch. So he's the perfect person to talk to on this podcast, and I'm just excited to talk about the show because I really love it. I loved the final episodes that dropped on December 31st. You can go read my review over on the Mary Sue. We also have a few other writers on the Mary Sue talking about the show, but I love Sabrina because it brings in so many different images and ideas of witchcraft in so many fun and interesting ways. I'm bummed that we're not going to get more episodes, but who knows what will happen with the world right now. But we made it to episode 10. We made it to 2021. 2021, yep. And we hopefully will make it uh, until there's a new president, because it's been a pretty wild week here in America. But I'm excited for you to listen to my conversation with Joshua Conkle. Um, just a bit of a, an apology. There was something kind of funky going on with my mic or somebody's mic. So there's a little bit of interference on the sound. You can still hear everyone fine. But I do apologize. Still learning how to use my mics in the best way possible. Um, if you know any good microphone spells, please send them my way. But without further ado, here is our conversation with Joshua Conkle from The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. Hello and welcome, Josh Conkle, to the Real Magic Podcast. This is one of our first. This you're our first writer. Oh well, it's my it's my pleasure to be that for you. <laughs> it's really exciting. I was just I you're you've been like on my top guests. I wanted to get on the podcast since I started knowing that you are a witch and you write on one of our favorite witchy shows. And mm-hmm. so that you're the perfect guest. Oh, thanks. It's a pleasure. And so, you know, I like to ask our guests before we get into things. How was pop culture an influence on you and your witchcraft as a kid or as a young person? Who was your favorite witch growing up? Uh huh. Well, I can't remember a time when I wasn't 
super into witchy stuff. Like my first favorite show was Scooby-Doo and and I was always annoyed that they weren't real paranormal uh, baddies, that they were all just like greedy old men. I found it really disappointing. Um, I always loved ghost stories. I remember, you know, the uh, scary stories to tell in the dark books of the 80s were a big thing for me. And just horror movies generally have always been like a touchstone for me. Um, The first witch, you know, I'm a little too old for like Harry Potter. So... I remember um, The Worst Witch uh, was a big one. Um, Return to Oz. Feruza Balk all the way. Yeah. And then, of course, I was like 15 when The Craft came out. And so that was like a major touchstone for me. So really Feruza Balk just in all her witchy forms. Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. that's right. She's she's like my Everest of guests. She's She's incredible. um, I love The Worst Witch. And I love that Tim Curry song. But yeah, anything can happen on Halloween. <laughs> yeah, I think if you wa- if you watch that song as a kid, you're gay now. It's true. Yeah, I certainly am. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> um, I'm like, I'm like, oh, I really want to go to a school with all girls and all witches, and wow, Jessica, you're a lesbian. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, this. Uh, yeah, I remember. I saw the worst witch in pieces. Like it was, I could never catch like the beginning of it. It was always mm. in reruns on cable. So it was on Disney channel. Yeah. All the time. Yeah. And so I never like knew how it ended or missed the middle. And so it's yeah. always, yeah, I loved it. So how did you come to be a writer on Sabrina? So were you, were they looking for people? Cause you identify as a witch. Mm-hmm. Were they looking for witchy writers or was it just a happy coincidence? It's a happy coincidence. And in fact, if I'm being honest, I, there were several witches on, uh, you know, there was probably like three out of nine writers that identified as some sort of witch. Um, I don't know how much Roberto really cared about that or sought that out. I think it was just a happy coincidence because um, I didn't really talk about it in my interview. Um, but I, but I did mention that I happen to know a lot about the occult and about different traditions. And so, I mean, I did say that, but I, de- I never self-identified as a witch to him. Um, although, you know, I wasn't secretive about it either. So, um, but how I came to write on Sabrina was through magic, really. I, uh, I had worked on a series of unfortunate events, my first TV job, which I had gotten by accident. I had gone through a painful divorce in New York and just moved to LA and kind of spent all of my money moving to LA and couldn't find a job for like six months. And it was a really difficult time. And so I did a spell on it. And then um, my agents called me and said that they wanted to interview me for Sabrina. But it's really funny because Sabrina, the Sabrina room had already been going for like months and months and months. And I, as far as I know, I hadn't even been submitted. Um, but I do remember Deadline tweeting a photo of Sabrina and Harvey in the pilot like that had been leaked from set. And I tweeted, Netflix made a big mistake not hiring me for the Sabrina show. <laughs> so it's like, nice. I sort of like manifested it um, because the room had been running for months before they hired me. I don't know what made Roberto feel like he wanted one more writer to round it out or, or whatever, but it, it, but it was me. So I started um, on season one when they were writing episode three. Oh, wow. Yeah, because yeah, they, they did the pilot first and then they came back for the yeah it took a few months off to make you know it takes them a while to decide whether or not they want to pick up the show and and sort of all that stuff and to like finalize actors contracts and and yada 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 i was re-watching um the first few episodes like around it was my election uh, comfort show Mm. (laughs) 
Um, and so, and you do, they do a pretty good job of like keeping it consistent from the pilot to the second episode, but like you can see sort of maybe locations changed and some, yeah. you know, somebody's hair is a bit longer and right. Yeah. You know, this, this one thing, but it's, that's always fun to me seeing like, Hey, this, your, your, your house is suddenly isn't quite the same color <laughs> in yeah. the second episode of your show. But yeah. Whatever. So you said that there, are, you weren't just the only witch on the show like how what was the role of actual witches in the writer's room and I guess before we talk about that not everyone listening probably knows like how a writer's room works because you aren't just like assigned an episode you break the season and you talk about it in yeah. the room with everyone and, and so everyone and every show yeah every show works differently too but um for Sabrina Roberto's the boss, right? He's at the end of the table. He's the head writer. And he'll have a rough idea of what he wants to happen over the season. Maybe some temp polls, you know, start of the season, mid-season, um, maybe finale, maybe not. And some rough themes that he wants to explore. And then every, the writers are, you know, most of the job is sitting at the table with the other writers and you're what's called pitching to him. You're, you're coming up with ideas and you're pitching them. And um, slowly over time, that becomes the sort of spine of the season. And, and really you're going episode, episode by episode and you're creating the story by pitching, you know, beat by beat until you have the outline of a full episode. And at that point, that episode is then assigned to a writer and that writer disappears and, you know, writes that episode and then comes back to the table. So different people are disappearing at different times from the table to write the episode or to go to set. So when it's your episode that's being filmed, you go to set to Vancouver to produce the episode and answer questions to the director or the actors or, or things like that. So it's a really fun job. I think a lot of people imagine that because you're a writer that you're just tucked away writing by yourself, but really it's very social. You're at a table with the other writers most, you know, like 90% of the time. So. And everyone has influence on every episode of the season. It's not just you, you have just your episode, like there's ideas or even lines or character beats in every episode that everyone collaborated on. And I don't think. Yeah. And in fact, how collaborative it is. Yeah. Some shows you truly do just go off and write your own episode, but on Sabrina, it's much more collaborative. So some people are really good at, you know, I was, I'm a horror writer, so I was really good at writing the scary stuff. Um, one person is a really good, like, teen romance writer. So if it's your episode and there's a thing in your episode story-wise that you're not great at and someone else is, you might farm those scenes out to somebody else. And so that writer will write all those scenes, turn them into you as the head writer for the episode, you put them in your script, and then you get kind of like a polish on everything. And then, of course, every script goes to Roberto, and so Roberto just completely rewrites everything every script and that kind of gives it like a uniformity of voice um yeah yeah so um you said you got to go to set I was uh, lucky enough to go visit the Sabrina set in fall of 2018 Mm -hmm. and it was my favorite set I visited it's so beautiful and cool the detail that everyone put into those sets and also like it's speaking of witches I think that the production designer or one of the production designers was also pagan or witchy yeah, she put uh, so many details into everything Lisa Soper she's responsible yeah. for the aesthetic of the show and she is a pagan and um, I, I think it's sort of incredible that she didn't get nominated for an Emmy for season same, one same and I, my, uh, the show that I worked on previously did win an Emmy or was nominated for an Emmy for that category, which was a series of unfortunate events. And that show also deserved it. That show also had an incredible aesthetic, but I don't think it's any better than, I mean, I prefer the aesthetic of Sabrina, basically. Um, I think she was robbed. 
Yeah. And another thing I don't think that the average viewer understands about television or movies is that everything you see on screen was chosen. That yeah. somebody that work hours of work sometimes went into everything you went on screen. Like the thing that struck me in Sabrina was there was a whole office set for designing and printing wallpaper. None of that was, you know, off the rack mm-hmm. wallpaper. It was like specific wallpaper in each room of the Spellman house, like had different wallpaper that kind of reflected a certain story. And there were all these different like like Easter yeah, eggs, there, you know, hidden yeah. everywhere. There's the thing that like um Sometimes you'll see a shot in the Spellman house that's just um, women's high heels on little shelves in the, in the hallway. Yeah. And someone asked Lisa Soper about it because it was her idea. And she's like, oh, well, this is my idea that Zelda, anytime she's cursed a woman, she's taken one of her shoes and put it in this collection. And that's never made it into any episode, um, that story. But that gives you an idea of like how much thought is put into every single tiny detail. And like the amount of horror movie Easter eggs if you're a horror fan is insane. Like the, the pane glass on the roof of the Spellman parlor is the same as the pane glass window that the woman shatters through in the 1977 Suspiria. Like that level of detail is what Lisa Soper brought to the show. And it's just the most incredible looking show I've ever worked on. Yeah. Like you go into like, um, there's a room like Ambrose's sort of spell ingredient room right off of like the embalming room. And like every little bottle has a label on it. Yeah. No one's going to really like see that, but it it also helps the actors. It helps everyone on set to really feel real. And so I just, I love visiting that set. It was so cool and beautiful. Yeah. So good work guys. Thanks. (laughs) And I love that. Like she, like Lisa, she, they told us like there are rabbits all around yeah um, the Spellman household and other places and that actually got integrated with like the the hair moon I feel like in season two like suddenly the yeah. rabbit was an important part of the plot and that had just been sort of this symbolic of witches in the set dressing in season one and I like how that came out in season two that was yeah cool. a lot of that stuff happens kind of organically it's part of them it's you know it's magical kind of so like on this show, one of my questions is always, or my two questions are, is this movie about paganism or witchcraft? Is it accurate? And is it entertaining? Usually the accurate answer is no. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think that with Sabrina, it's very entertaining. And so much of that for me comes with the fact that it was a, there's so much influence and inspiration from actual history and paganism and witchcraft. And not just like, real paganism but also like the perception of witchcraft and paganism like the first season seemed really geared at like what if the stuff from the malleus maleficarum was real was real exactly and so that's where it comes from like what was the process for you coming into that as writers balancing the story and the thrill and entertainment with real world influences it's a difficult thing to really parse out because it's a question people get a lot, you know, and I see it on Twitter a lot, not just in regards to Sabrina, but generally about whether something is is accurate or not. But with witches, it's tricky because witches have always been fact and fiction at the same time, and both sides of that coin influences the other. Um, you know, people, I remember when people hated the craft because it wasn't quote unquote accurate, and yet it's brought generations of people into the craft. So kind of who cares um and you know if there was a show about 
Catholics or Protestants that was quote unquote accurate and the show was about their religion, it would be very boring. And the same is true of witches. If, you know, if people just, if it was just us, us puttering around our houses, making tea and shit, like that's a boring show. No one wants to watch. So you're always trying to balance, you know, the real, the real craft with entertainment and in this case, horror. So, you know, it's, it's tricky. Um, yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't know what else to say about it. Yeah, because you guys really do have a synthesis of just like you. There's so many influences. Like one of your episodes, uh, all of them witches, that's named after a line in Rosemary's Baby. And so there's there's so many layers of horror influences. And, you know, you also have the influence of the original Sabrina comics and the old Sabrina show. So you've got a lot of completing influences on your show. And you kind of came up with this great pastiche. Yeah, it, it really is. And I love that. We have no idea what time period this show really yeah. happens. And yeah. like, we don't, a lot of their problems would be solved if they had cell phones. Which yeah, is kind of like, that's part of the design of the show, too, you know, to get that yummy, old, gothy horror movie feeling. I, you right. know, it's it's the only show that's, it's the only teen show, certainly, of all time, that's really ultimately about comparative religion. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And they're all fictional religions, but still, it's, you know, that's what the show is. Yeah, one of the things you said about, you know, if we had accurate shows about witches, it'd be really boring. I feel the same way. Like, I'm also, a, I went to law school. I was a lawyer for a while. And, you know, I've never seen an accurate show about lawyers either. They're probably even more inaccurate than the witch yeah. shows. <laughs> yeah. Um, Although but, I will say I worked in advertising for many years and Mad Men is pretty accurate. Oh, okay. <laughs> but that's yeah. a very quiet, sort of thoughtful show, so... Yeah, I made the mistake a few years ago, of, like watching like three seasons of Mad Men, like in a few days. And I was just like, the I'm like, okay, now I'm depressed. Yeah, it's very sad <laughs> there's a show. lot of ennui going on right now. I need <laughs> to watch like the L word or something stupid. Also, so, there's just a, like a lot of gatekeeping. I'm sorry to interrupt. Oh, no, go like, ahead. Yeah, there's a lot of gatekeeping and witchy in the witchy community of you know what's real and what's not like when sabrina came out there you know there's so many people screaming on twitter like witches don't worship the devil this is so harmful and it's like point in fact actually many witches worship the devil um it's not your place to say what what is witchcraft and what isn't there are many many witches that worked with satan or baphomet or some version of that so it's like be careful to say be careful when you say what witches are or are not, because it's a big tent with basically anything under the sun you can imagine included. It's very interesting because, you know, since we're in like this new sort of witch wave and coming out of, you know, I came to this in the nineties with bazillion other witches, there was such a push there for, you know, the Wiccan read, which, you know, harm none, which Mm -hmm. I'm a fan of, but this need to sterilize and, you know, soften witchcraft to make it more palatable and less scary, which, you know, in some ways is a matter of survival because you don't want people, you know, calling your neighbors or, sure. you know, you coming out of like the satanic panic in the 80s. It's still dangerous to say, oh, I'm a witch. But yeah. there are hard and icky parts of witchcraft, like there are hard and difficult parts of any faith. And it's you don't want to file off those edges just to be palatable to the mainstream. I feel like there's been a lot of people who are uh, leaning into that hard stuff in the past 10 or so years in this wave to sort of like re-embrace the darker elements of witchcraft. Like there's a lot of people saying that they don't believe in the Wiccan read and, you know, because they're not Wiccans or whatever. And so they, 
they will curse people if they want to. They will work with blood or piss or things like that. And like, that's important to them. And, and I respect that. I mean, I'm also not a Wiccan. Um, I wouldn't curse somebody, but I'm not necessarily against it. Yeah. Um, and it's the idea of, you know, you know, wh- whether you're quote unquote hex positive. Right. Is, <laughs> it's still like an ongoing discussion. It's very much like a personal choice for someone. It's like, you know, you can't, some people will say, well, I'll, you know, blanket, I will not do baneful magic. But then somebody said, well, I like to, you know, curse rapists. Yeah. Or, you know, I may have done a little hex or two during the election, just, just sure. in case. You know? And, you know, a lot of witches of color are pointing out that some people might not need hexes, you know, like um, a white person of privilege is going to have more help from the official authorities than like perhaps a person of color would you know so people of color or other people who are disenfranchised in some way may have to take matters into their own hands in a way that someone with more privilege might not so that's worth thinking about as well I think yeah absolutely the like tendency to kind of literally whitewash magic kind of erases the role of like baneful magic in voodoo and other you know marginalized practices yeah, and that's the other thing is, you know, practices from the African diaspora have become so um, have so rightfully come into the front in the past 10 years. So suddenly there's a big interest in like root work and uh, Santeria and voodoo and, and all that sort of stuff. And so that I think is those uh, sort of African Caribbean practices are sort of um, influencing the larger witchy culture in a way right now too, which is it's probably good. Probably good, but we also have to be mindful of whether we're appreciating or appropriating. Of course, absolutely, yeah. And I did like, you know, this sort of skips to one of my later questions I have written down, but um, you guys brought in all these interesting different kinds of witches, especially in the second season with all the hedge witches. And it was sort of like a witches Avengers of all these sort of different (laughs) kind of really creepy, fun different kinds of witches and you actually were you uh, wrote that that episode all of the witches so like how did you guys come up with so many of those different like you know you brought in gryla in the christmas episode who i i loved she's great uh but then you brought in all like segovax and all these like great different witches who then just kind of hung around for the rest of the season and i love yeah (laughs) yeah and who knows what would have happened if they if the show had kept going um I don't know how that came to be other than like just Googling witches that we thought, you know, we wanted to open the world of the witches mm-hmm. for the show. It was time to start, you know, bringing in different practices and traditions. And, and we knew we wanted to introduce voodoo as like sort of a counterpoint to our witches. Um, and so I think honestly, we just started Googling like witches that might have like useful histories you know like when we introduced Mm -hmm. Gryla it was a Christmas episode so we're like okay let's like google Christmas witches from around the world you know because there's a lot of them actually that people don't know about um so it was kind of like that I think so yeah so what kind of comes first like the idea like the story beat and then the influences or other way around or is it a combination of both it's a combination it just happens organically under roberto's lead or you know whomever the showrunner is on, on on the show yeah so you don't be like okay we need to do a voodoo story let's do this it sort of comes out it can be that it can be like we need a witch who can make things rot with her hand 
And yeah. so you start Googling to try to find a witch that does that, or it can be the other way around. You can, you can come in and say like, oh, I was Googling, um, you know, witches from around the world this weekend. And I found this really cool witch who does X, Y, Z. So it can kind of happen both ways. So season, you had season one and then season two had a lot more of like a pagan influence on it was um, when, and when season two started and like the bad guys were like the pagans, I was obviously they're like oh man like not only mm-hmm. are we getting like witches are satanic but the pagans are bad guys in the witch show but then mm-hmm. we got then they brought in hecate which i loved seeing that come in where did that story come from and how did that develop and what kind of conversations did you had about like representing quote unquote paganism and an actual goddess that many witches identify with yeah it's hard to talk about i mean oh. the truth is that Roberto is Nicaraguan and very Catholic and grew up very Catholic. And so for him, pagans are scary. The idea of pagans is is scary. Um, So that's really probably the root of it. But he would also say like, oh, I also know that I have pagans in this room and that it isn't actually scary. And I also think that there was just something in the zeitgeist at that moment that was like a, a rebirth of folk horror, you know, with Midsummer and a lot, you know, a lot of indie movies. Um, that were also exploring that. And so I think there was just something in the zeitgeist about folk horror that he wanted to explore. I also just think, I mean, again, I don't, I'm sorry to say, I mean, I'm not sorry to say, I will say, I don't think that witches get to be sensitive about these things, frankly. That's my take. I know that's not a very popular take, but I am a writer and story comes first. And the truth is that like, witches have always had this going on and it's actually good like again to use the craft as an example people were mad about the craft and yet it's done all of this good for our community so these pop culture representations of witches including sabrina bring people into this practice um and so i don't know i just i'm not bothered by it and i it's it's a hard thing to talk about because I do feel a responsibility about it, but at the same time, I just recognize the job that I'm doing and the task at hand, which is making a horror show for teenagers. So, yeah, it's I mean, hard to balance. I mean, from like the first episode, you have you know Sabrina turns on a radio with her magic, and I unfortunately, as a witch, I've never been able to do that. I don't think yeah, that's yeah. terribly accurate either. And I think like when we complain about inaccuracy. We have to, you know, also acknowledge, you know, that, okay, we also, we can't actually fly. So we can't really, yeah, criticize, you know, we don't eat people for Thanksgiving, thankfully. Yeah. I mean, one of the blessings and curses mm-hmm. of these practices is that people use it as a metaphor in creative work all the time um, and, and ways that are troubling or fun or, or anything. So I mean, I just think that that's always, that comes with the territory of this practice, whether you like it or not. Um, And again, a show about real witches would be very boring. And part of the reason that all of us came to these practices is through pop culture and because of pop culture and the representations of witches there. So I don't know, for me, it's like, it's a big shrug. Uh, I don't think, I think if someone watches Sabrina and feels like Sabrina is trying to say that pagans are evil, I think that that's a not very sophisticated reading of the show (laughs) you know the whole show is camp and satire and pastiche and so those kind of complaints kind of get an eye roll from me and I feel like there's a lot of people in any community um, who are just really into being upset on the internet and that's kind of 
I think that that's kind of the energy that I get from those witches who make those complaints about Sabrina. <laughs> Are you telling me that people on the internet complain about things to get attention? Yes. Listen, I'm from the supernatural fandom. Never would that ever happen. Yeah. As again, like for me coming into this, you know, I came from, I'm a big supernatural fan. So I'm like, okay, well, the devil yeah. is a character on that show and there's still some cool witches on there. So, well, you know, my best friend is Steve Yaki, who wrote for Supernatural for many, many years and now runs the flight attendant. And it's, yeah, it was really fun to, they yeah. just like didn't seem to care about the oh. fandom. Oh. oh my God, I have to, I can't believe I'm saying this about somebody else on the podcast, but it's like, I don't, I never heard him so much as utter a single word about the Supernatural fandom. <laughs> I adore Steve. He wrote some of my favorite episodes of Supernatural. He's great. He's Brilliant great. writer. Um, the Flight Attendant. I, you know, I'll plug it now. I adored that show. Love it. Michelle Gomez so is good. so good. Yeah, we can just talk about Michelle Gomez for five minutes <laughs> because what a goddess. I know. Incredible. Um, and such a nice woman and so funny and just incredible. She was one of the only people we didn't get to talk to when we did our on-set interviews and we were all like, so bummed but uh, that's she's a bummer just, she's hysterically funny like so do you know anything about like how like casting her did you change in the room like writing for Lilith as you saw what Michelle could do or did you know cast her knowing that character would be what it became or I mean I think Roberto had an idea of what the character would be but anytime an actor is especially killing it you turn up the volume on that character in terms of like screen time in terms of you know everything you know you want to play to an actor's strength and and on the flip side if an actor turns out to be disappointing you start to turn that down so it's one of the blessings of um you know we wrote we wrote sabrina like a network show in that like the show was being filmed as we were writing it so we can kind of see what the actors were doing and adjust. Oftentimes on a Netflix show, you'll write all the scripts and then go into production, but we couldn't do that because we were sort of working with the Riverdale schedule in terms of Roberto's mm -hmm. time. So that's one of the blessings of working that way as you can see what actors are doing and respond to it. And so it wasn't, it didn't take long <laughs> to realize that Michelle Gomez was like a delicious, you know, tree and, and giving such a stunning performance. So we started to uh, write, you know, for that. Yeah. But both on the flight attendant on here, she can be so funny and so scary at the same time. She's mm -hmm. just in her face. is just a work of art. Yeah. She's, and an, she's incredible. And in fact, I remember Roberta having a talk with her at some point early in season one to like kind of turn it down just a little bit because the smallest little flick of an eyebrow from Michelle somehow mm -hmm. is is huge yeah. and so you know what I mean like it doesn't take too long before it's too big and you have to dial dial it back a little bit um she's incredible yeah I mean your whole class really was incredible I think Karen was one of the most poised young ladies I've ever Ever. interviewed she's, she's she's like a 40 year old woman except she's yeah. got the energy of a 19 year old still um because sabrina's in every single scene basically yeah. and our show shot six days a week 12 14 hours a day oftentimes overnight in the cold because it's a horror show in vancouver and so yeah. never a complaint from kiernan you know she just was always up for you know you want to stick her in slime but naked at 2 a.m she's up for it i mean she's just she's there to She's there to do the work and um, and she's such a happy-go-lucky positive person. And I also think she just realized it was her time, you know, like this is the first mm -hmm. show she's ever led. She just, I feel like she just didn't want to, didn't want to blow it, which is smart. 
you know, and I mean, often definitely. is not the case for young people shows. Yeah. I mean, even non-young people like coming into shows, leading a show is hard. Just ask Ruby Rose on Batwoman. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's really hard. Some people like it is tough and she really did an amazing job with a character that sometimes is, you know, making decisions you want to strangle her for. <laughs> yeah. And with casting that you have to have an actor who you don't want to strangle, you have to have somebody who can carry that. And she does a really amazing job. She's such an incredible performer and she gets better with every episode too. Like she grew with the show. So the place that she started as an actress in the pilot is very different than where she ended. And she's, I'm just, I love that kid so much. Yeah. And and what a great actor in person. I love jazz. I love, um, no, I'm completely blanking on their name, but the actor who plays Theo, that's Lachlan. Lachlan. Sorry. Yeah. You guys being able to cast a non-binary actor as a mm-hmm. trans character, that's really important. And you wrote some really important Theo episodes. And so having that representation there wasn't something I think the show doesn't get enough credit for. Yeah. We also had, we always had trans writers um, on the staff as well. So Typically, you know, the really important Theo scenes would, would go to them to write, even if it wasn't their episode. Um, so at least they got a crack at it, you know? Yeah. And I think that, you know, I think Warner Brothers actually has been really, Warner Brothers television has been actually on the forefront. Like they have their first trans superhero on Supergirl. So mm-hmm. we've got, and I'll give them credit where that where it's due. Yeah, yeah. Because, <laughs> you know, a lot of other networks aren't taking those chances and giving young trans people a way to see themselves yeah. on screen because it's still far you know far few and far between that's the reason yeah 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 did you have any other favorite characters to write or to watch yeah love writing madam satan slash lilith love writing uh aunt zelda um i'm a big fan of like salty tough women um and that's part of why I got the job is I, I have a long history of writing, you know, I came from the the riot girl scene of the nineties and grew up in the Pacific Northwest. So I have a real soft spot for like tough girls. Um, and so salty older women are like a little bit of uh, an extension of that. Like if I were to write, you know, Buffy, my favorite character is faith. I just really feel her and, and connect to her. And um, same with Fruza Balk and the craft. Like I'm really good at that kind of character and salty older women as an extension of that is, is definitely a thing. I wrote all the, not to brag, but like all of the gifts of Esme Squalor from a series of unfortunate events are from my moments basically. Cause I just am really good at writing that kind of character. So yeah, probably Zelda and uh, Lilith are my favorites. Yeah, I loved, you know, especially this last, you know, batch of episodes, like Z- Zelda, High Priestess of Hecate, who's like, yes, yeah, goals. that's what I want to be when I grow up. Yeah, at first, I in the first season, I everyone loved Hilda so much. And I love Hilda too, but oh, I, I felt too. like Zelda didn't get enough love mm-hmm. and I didn't understand why, but I think that that changed over the four parts. Yeah, I'm personally a Hilda who, who aspires to be a Zelda. Yeah. And I just like, I just like to cook and... But you know, yeah, but, but Hilda's also will. Fuck she's you tough up too. I mean, yeah. she's she's she murders people. Yeah. <laughs> Zelda doesn't do that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like yeah, I love I love both of them, but I just have a soft spot for Zelda. And I and I am as a Capricorn, I felt like Zelda had like big Capricorn energy. Oh my God, yes, I thank you. I'm a Capricorn too. So <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's 
ultimate. I think like, what, do you have signs for in your mind for all the characters? I do. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't a thing in the room except for me and this woman, Christy, uh, who is one of the other witches and a professional astrologer. So we would talk about it a lot. Um, so yeah. Hilda, obviously the cancer, Sabrina mm-hmm. canonically is a Scorpio. Uh, that makes sense. Zelda, <laughs> yeah. Zelda Capricorn. Um, we thought Prudence was a Libra maybe. Mm, interesting. Um, I can't remember what chance was maybe an Aquarius or I, I mean, Ambrose. That. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So yeah, we talked about it a lot. Can you talk about developing like the character of Ambrose? Cause like my theory was like, you couldn't have Salem, the talking cat who was on house arrest. You had to kind of create another, you know, male house arrest figure and it became Ambrose. <laughs> yeah. Like where I did that character come think, from? I think it's, I mean, it's hard to say because there was the comic book before there was the show and, mm-hmm. and Ambrose is in that, but Salem also talks in the comic book. But, but I think you're right. I mean, that was always, it never got discussed from Roberto, but that was my, uh, that was my intuition about it was that he was our Salem. Yeah. And I really like where he kind of went though. I, you know, my, that was, that was one character I was a bit disappointed with in like the final episodes. Cause I feel like he became a bit of like an exposition mm-hmm. dump character and that yeah. he didn't get to have like develop a lot of his own arc, but that's what happens when you have this big of an ensemble. It's true. And he yeah. does the exposition so well. He, he does. He's a he's a wonderful actor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. Uh, I hear you. And um, something that I don't know if the listeners will know, you guys have Salem as a character and you have many, there were many cats on set, but you couldn't really use the cat because Kiernan was like deathly allergic. Yeah. yeah I mean, she's not deathly allergic. That's mm-hmm. a bit of an exaggeration okay. on her part in the media's part. Because she did, for all yeah. four parts, hold that cat kind of a lot. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, she was always happy. I mean, she's such a nice person, such a hard worker. Yeah. She was always happy to take a Claritin and take one for the team. But the truth is that, like, Salem doesn't talk on our show. Um, and it's annoying to shoot a cat. And so you just sort of naturally stop putting the cat in so many things because it's annoying and hard yeah. to do and takes up time. And that's, that's not something you have a lot of when you're shooting a television show. So yeah. Cats a bit harder to train than dogs. Yeah, It was a pain in the dick. And sometimes they would just give up and be like, we'll just CGI this <laughs> because <laughs> well, it was taking too long. The great commandment of television will fix it in post. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, and I was, I mean, I have to say, I'm yeah. glad that Salem didn't talk on our show. I don't have any, soft feelings for the 90s show I, I didn't like it I was a teenager when it was on so I was like too cool for it by half and I never thought it was funny or cute and so I didn't want Salem to talk there were always big fights about that in the room and from executives at Warner Brothers and I was very firmly on Salem shouldn't talk so that's where I'm coming from I did like the um I think it's like the second to last episode it's sort of like your guys version of the supernatural French mistake episode where Sabrina Morningstar goes into the sort of this parallel universe where we've got the other Hilda and Zelda and we've got the talking yeah. Salem is an eldritch horror. Yeah. <laughs> I kind of liked that sort of as an inside joke. And that puppet was so <laughs> Was that like the original old puppet that hadn't been cleaned from since I'm the 90s? Sure. I'm not sure. If it wasn't, then that was probably Lisa's intention. Like, let's say that this is the same exact puppet. Like, what shape would that puppet be in now? I'm sure was her th- line of thought if it wasn't. In fact, I mean, a lot of times we could get stuff like that. So 
you know, for example, all of the paintings at the Academy of Unseen Arts were original Clive Barker paintings. Oh, wow. So sometimes we could get stuff like that. So who knows? I mean, we had those two aunties. So it's yeah, anybody's that, guess. I love that that was the one thing in like, because we got screeners, you know, and we could do not reveals. And the big do not reveal was do not reveal that the original actresses for Hilda and Zelda come back this season. And it, then they just like tweet out. I know. <laughs> and all the journalists are like, well, can we talk about this in our review now? Because <laughs> yeah, all that stuff happens kind of a lot. You can't control like a dummy in marketing or, you know, an actor's personal Twitter. Or, you know. Oh, no. Yeah. It's just, it's, that's why it's always fun to, you know, follow the writer's Twitter, no writers, because, you know, somehow, like I know Steve on one of his first episodes of Supernatural, like the promo. F- spoiled the biggest reveal of his episode and yeah. he got salty about that <laughs> come near and hark this burn bright and shine banish this darkness Torches flame every time we call your name. It's not the darkness. That's it's Elsa. And Elsa. And the coffin. Hallowed mother maiden crown. Through the dark your light be shown. They're praying to Hecate. Who? Our new goddess. Say what they're saying. Hecate, gatekeeper. Guardian, God, stand among us, side by side. Hecate, light your torches in flame. Every time we call your name, hallowed mother, maiden, crown. Through the dark, your light be shown. Hecate, gatekeeper, guardian, God, stand among us, side by side. Hecate, light your torches flame. Every time we call your name, hallowed mother, maiden, crown. Through the dark, your light be shown. So let's talk about like the kind of sexual politics of Sabrina. I love how sort of, you know, in in history, like witchcraft and the idea of like witches copulating with Satan was sort of seen as this like expression of the fear of women's liberation and sexuality. Mm -hmm. But in this show, you sort of turn it on its head where like the Church of Night is, you know, especially with Father Blackwood was severely misogynistic. Yeah. And so like where did that come from and what was your thinking on that where it actually became more concerned like the witchy satanic people became more conservative than you know conservative Christians. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, again Roberto grew up very Catholic. Um you know, his family's from Nicaragua, so you know, very very Catholic. Uh and I think really what he's doing, if anyone should be upset about the show, it's Catholics because what he's really doing is using is to, is turning Catholicism on its head and just making it Satanism. So Satanism is just like the inverse of Catholicism basically for Mm -hmm. the start of the show. And so I think he's using Satanism to say Catholicism basically. So (laughs) all of the conservative things are like him criticizing Catholicism, truthfully, I think, um, to start. And like, I think Father Blackwood's such an interesting villain because he becomes like this embodiment of misogyny and traditionalism. And, you know, at some point, I, I'm sure he says, you know, let's make the Church of Night great again or something. Like he's yeah. very 
He's a, was he like a Trumpish villain in your mind or? Yes. Yeah. He, he like represents misogyny to a point where, I mean, I don't know. Personally, I felt like the, the politics, I don't know. I can't, I don't want to criticize the show. <laughs> I'm a, I'm a very passionate progressive, but sometimes I feel like, Oh, really? I mean, this is a little on the nose, but you know, I'm not the showrunner and yeah. Fuck, now I feel like I'm saying things that I shouldn't. <laughs> it's okay. If there's anything you wanted me to edit out, just yeah, let yeah. me know. But like I think, you know, he was definitely a Trumpish villain. And it was interesting that, you know, he kind of ends up going from one cult to another, that cult of personality that mm-hmm. relies on fear and marginalizing people. And then eventually for him, it just becomes not even about principle, it becomes about power. Yeah. And I mean, to be fair, going back on what I was just saying, we were living in a time when we were seeing that in our media and our government. So it's not too over the top for the time, to be honest. If you think about, you know, when we were writing season one, Brett Kavanaugh was being um, put on the Supreme Court. So, you know, it's not too far of a jump, really. Not at all. And I think, I mean, Richard Coyle does a great job he's yeah, having great again, he's having so much fun you could tell yeah. he's just like chewing that scenery having so yeah. much fun um i found it really interesting that you know he ends up basically being immortal kind of metaphorical like some of these things some of this bullshit's never gonna die you're still gonna have that guy with his head on a plate just saying <laughs> yeah. do you know yeah even when it's been completely like neutered it's still there still just there. waiting for a comeback yeah, it's like him getting his head cut off was like Trump's getting his Twitter banned. Yeah. <laughs> but at the point um, when we were like cutting off Caliban's balls and stuff, I was like, really? Do we have to do this? <laughs> like, it, it was kind of worth it for that visual joke. Yeah. <laughs> Just yeah. the lumps of, of clay. It's like, he's made of clay. He'll be fine. And I did like how you guys sort of um, lampshaded that, like the in, again in the a parallel universe episode where he's like why do I always have my shirt off <laughs> yeah. and but again if I was that young man I would never put on a shirt either so is there stuff that you wish you could have gotten into more in you know given if you'd had another season is there s- storylines or worlds you'd want to explore more like I want to know more about like, the fairies and uh-huh. Robin Goodfellow and seeing what that the fairy realm was like I felt like yeah I, I think what gone. I think that would have come um it felt like where we were going was to have in some way Sabrina and or the coven kind of against God and the angels I mean we'd done this mortal plane we'd done hell and it made sense to kind of see the uh, the, the, the last plane but I would have liked more fairies too honestly I really wanted Sabrina to lose her virginity and I and I was sad that she didn't at Lupercalia like she was originally mm-hmm. meant to um it felt like our show was so progressive about sex and sexuality. And it felt like that one aspect, Sabrina losing her virginity felt a little bit retrograde to me. And we could have done a really cool story about a young woman who chooses to lose her virginity and, and, and be really positive and, and active about it. There's also just, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. It sort of ended up like, okay, well, we got to do this before I possibly die. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I did like the total eclipse of the hearts. Yeah. Soundtrack to it though. But yeah, go and, ahead. Um, and, and there's also just like story ideas and, and other horror movies that I would have loved to explore. I kept pitching like 
a slasher movie, you know, like for my first pitch before we got into Gryla and stuff was to do like Silent Night, Deadly Night or something where there's like a escape lunatic in a Santa Claus suit. Um, or, you know, like I would love, love to have done a, um, a maximum overdrive episode was like my blue sky pitch, which is like, there's a day when all of the machines come to life in Greendale for some reason and start attacking. Um, so it's just like things like that, like little ideas that we never got to do. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, um, the way, you know, we ended the series, you know, with the season with Mm -hmm. Sabrina in the afterlife, like certainly was a (laughs) concrete conclusion. Yeah. Definitely. Like, okay, well, there we go. (laughs) Yeah. But, and, you know, and sort of like a happy ending, depending on how you squint for her and Nick to be together that way. Yeah. But, you know, I definitely could see, you know, this is a family who has, you know, a pit in their front yard where people crawl back from the dead. I was waiting for her, you know, I'm waiting for like the carry moment at the end with a hand through. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the truth is that no one ever intended that to be the series finale. You know, none of us, including Roberto really dreamed that that would be the end of the show. And it wouldn't have been if it were not for COVID-19. The show did well enough to get another season. Um, What I heard was that if it had not been for COVID-19, we would have gotten like another eight episodes to finish the show, um, which would have been about presumably Sabrina and Nick escaping heaven. And and I don't know what the season long arc would have been, but it would have started there. Um, so yeah, it's just one of the hundreds and hundreds of tragedies of TV shows ending before their time, you know? Yeah. And COVID-19 is fucked up a lot of some other other season finales I (laughs) or series finales (laughs) Um, do you have like an idea of like in the cosmology of Sabrina this is just my own nerdy question sure where do like the non-god gods reside because like you kind of see Hecate or a woman you know with a veil Mm -hmm. at the end there like where does she hang out is she in the celestial realm or is she somewhere else because like it seems like that realm was sort of reserved for the christian god like was there an extra hidden realm or was she in the fey realm like where did those gods and that's a really good question we did talk about there being a fey realm and then there's heaven and hell and our plane and then we hinted that some of the old gods were like in the earth Mm um yeah that's a great question. I don't know. I guess she would be in the ethereal plane or the, uh, you know, where you go when you're astral, the astral plane, I guess. And there were all kinds of debates about that. Like, is limbo part of the astral plane? Is limbo separate? So we were having those conversations kind of a lot. And the truth is on a show like Sabrina, you kind of have to hold your mythology a little loosely so that yeah. you can tell stories. <laughs> yeah, I don't. Um, don't so I, don't pull at the threads <laughs> yeah so unfortunately i'm not sure i have a good answer for you but that was just like you know next level nerdy question like yeah was like would we have met hecate as a character do you think if we had gone further along or would that sort of been like you know we never we hadn't met god yet either but we have lilith and the devil as you know pretty common characters on the show so bringing in I... deities like that is still tricky we we didn't talk about it. I we Roberto definitely made a decision that he didn't want to have her as a character in that season, but that was mostly because 
it felt a little full. It was hard yeah. to tell stories for everybody or to serve every character because there were so many characters and there were certainly people who, in, you know, in the room and on in, involved with the show who felt maybe like some of those characters should have been dead so that we could clear the table of them and tell, and tell the stories that we had around um, more fleshed out stories, but, but that wasn't the case. And I just felt like the world of it was too full to really support a new character of that size. But I think we would have gotten there probably. Mm -hmm. Also like from a storytelling point of view, you do end up with like literally like a deus ex machina problem where you have this incredibly powerful character who can probably solve every problem. And yeah. You that's really boring to watch. Like, okay, we have a goddess yeah. there. She could just snap and fix everything. So that's not really interesting totally. to watch. Yeah. But So do you have a favorite episode looking back, like not even just yours or? I really love the first two episodes a lot. And I feel like they kind of operate like a movie. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And um, I really love Lupercalia. I think it's beautiful. Uh, I like the episodes that I wrote. I'm really proud of them. Um, especially, I really love the Mandrake episode. And I feel like out of my episodes, it's the one that probably gets the least love, but it's my favorite of the ones that I wrote and worked on. Um, yeah, and I love the finale of part two a lot. Um, the reveal that Nick's been working for the Dark Lord and the introduction, introduction of Luke Cook as the Dark Lord and... Yeah, I, I like that episode a lot too. You're a big Nick fan. You were tweeting today that you were like the original Sabrina Nick shipper. Yeah, so from the I, moment he arrived, I was like, that's the one. Yeah, <laughs> they're in game baby. I really like that. And I, I like kind of the highs and lows of their relationship. Yeah. And I really like Harvey and Roz together too. And some people didn't, but I'm like, actually, they're a real couple. That's why we put them together on the show. <laughs> oh, yeah. And like, you know, Sometimes you got to let, you know, the best friend or especially like the black best friend get the guy. Like, come on. Yeah. Let, yeah. Roz has been through a lot. Let her have she a really has. boyfriend. <laughs> so I did like how more empowered she became, like owning it as a witch yeah. this year and referencing that. Jazz was so excited when she found out that Roz was going to be a witch. She was like, yes. And I love that you for a little while had like the new like three weird sisters were all black women. That was yeah. beautiful. Where did the idea to make Mambo Marie Baron Samdi come from? From Roberto. I mean, okay. I don't, you don't have a better answer yeah. than that. <laughs> uh, you know, we had done a lot of voodoo research and mm -hmm. I think he wanted to use Baron Samdi somehow. And yeah, there you go. That wasn't, that was like a, a, a twist I was not, <laughs> not looking for, <laughs> but I was just like, no, my lesbians. I know, I know. Because I loved her and Zelda together. I thought yeah, that was so great. Beautiful couple. What a great actress Sky is. She was so nice. And um, yeah. But again, you had another one of those characters who was had had they had their shit two together for Greendale. <laughs> like, yeah. It would have made she things, was too good for Greendale. <laughs> she would have made, she would have fixed all the problems. Yeah. Um, so what are you looking to do in the future? Do you want to do more witchy projects, more horror projects, um, just like well, any, I, any project? <laughs> I do write a lot of horror, which is why I was on Sabrina. So this year I wrote a queer haunted house movie and I'm hoping to get that made. And, um, I have another horror script that's kind of been sold, but maybe going into production or not. I'm trying to wait and find out that. And then, 
Yeah, I mean, I, I write a lot of supernatural drama pilots, so I'm I'm always up to do a witchy show um, or show about vampires or or whatever. You know, like I, I'm into all of that. So that's all I want to watch too as a consumer. It's like just give me supernatural soap operas. That's literally all I want. Yeah, um, same, so, same. Yeah, well, that and like you know, nailed it is my other favorite Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> well, Nicole Byer is pretty charming. <laughs> oh my god, yeah, write a supernatural witch show for Nicole Byer. <laughs> I wonder if she would do it. I wonder what her interest level. I know that from mm. her podcast, I know that she was a big Charmed fan. So maybe you could oh. get her to do it. Yeah. Oh, OG Charmed. That was such yeah. a, I love that. That was, you know, the other big influence for me growing up was like craft and practical magic. And then like Charmed was just sort of always. Well, you know, Charmed like, apparently ripped off the craft. Oh yeah. Like they stole, some, there was like lawsuits and. Uh, yeah. You like know, they wanted to do a show of the craft and for some reason it didn't go. And then they just renamed it and did it anyway or something like that's like the dumb, dumb version of what happened. Yeah. And like, I only know this, like, you know, extrapolating in secondhand, like through influence, you know, other writers talking about bad experiences and not naming the rooms or Holly Marie Combs and Alyssa Milano talking about stuff. But I think that that was not a happy writer's room or session sound like it yeah it doesn't and sound like it it definitely sounds like Alyssa and holly were basically like running the show on set because no one else would yeah i don't doubt but that it sounds like you guys like you know i really respect how much fun roberto has and yeah certain- i i you know our young people this was like their college experience up there in Vancouver and they really loved it. And of course they were sleeping together and fighting and all that sort of stuff, but they really loved each other and, and were having a great time. And the adults too, they had, I mean, you could tell from their performances that our four adult, you know, main cast people are just having a ball and, and the writers were too. I mean, it's still a job, it's still hard work and there's still mm-hmm. fights and, and misunderstandings and stuff like that. But, but honestly, it was just a real joy the whole way. Yeah. That sort of kind of comes back to your point about like, you don't need to be too precious about being accurate or, you know, sensitive because this is a, it's a show, it's entertainment, it's silly sometimes and it's fun. And you guys obviously had so much fun writing yeah. this show. Honestly, at the end of the day, I think that witches are lucky that we have shows like this because other spiritual paths don't get this. So yeah. enjoy it for a while. There's, there's not a lot of like Buddhist horror shows. No, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> That would be an interesting. It's not a bad idea, actually. Yeah. <laughs> somebody, somebody saw, you know, a reincarnated monk solves their own murder. That could be yeah. fun. Yeah. Um, but thank you so much for coming, talking to me. We're kind of coming to the end of the hour. So I want to let you go. Okay. Um, where can people find you and your other work online? Because you have a podcast too. That's pretty fun. Well, I actually stopped doing the podcast oh, okay. quietly. <laughs> I didn't. It, podcasting, it turns out, was not for me. Um, <laughs> unfortunately, people can find me on Twitter <laughs> where I'm addicted to tweeting. And that's about it. Um, otherwise, unless you're, you know, in the business of buying scripts, um, that's probably where you could find me. I'm sure, I mean, this is like this, you know, real magic. I'm sure all of Hollywood is listening to this. <laughs> yeah. You know, we've, you know, I've, I've many times I've pitched on here that I want to, you know, I want a craft television show. Like if you don't know if you saw, you saw the craft legacy. I felt like that was a great mm. hour and a half long pilot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I feel you. Cause like there was so much in that episode, in that, you know, movie that I'm like, I want about 12 more hours with every one of these characters. Yeah. And 
So, you know, obviously Hollywood is listening and we'll be calling both of us very soon. <laughs> God willing. You know, for our scripts. But, and you're at Josh Conkle on Joshua Conkle. Joshua, sorry. That's all right. <laughs> um, yeah, people call me Jess and Jessica alternately, and I don't even know how I identify myself. I am Joshua on paper and Josh in person, typically. Mm-hmm. See, for me, I'm like, I'm Jess on Twitter and I'm Jessica in person to most people mm. I know, but everyone I know from fandom and work calls me Jess. So, yeah, I, yeah, it's whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Just don't call me late for dinner, as they say. <laughs> but thank you so much for, you. and you know, the season, the final episodes of Sabrina are there on Netflix right now. And yeah, watch, away. And wa- watch yeah. them. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks a lot. All right. And there you have it. Thank you for tuning in for our chat with Joshua Conkle from Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. I hope that you enjoyed it and that it gives you some more insight as you watch or rewatch the show. Now, if you're looking for another show to watch, I want to make a recommendation for you because I have a new favorite mystical, magical, supernatural drama that just premiered last week. It's called Trickster and it's on the CW and it's really interesting because it is a indigenous story with a fully indigenous cast and it tells a story about raven the trickster god but it's in a modern setting it's really cool and i really want to support it because it is a really wonderful show for representation and it's just really good so if you're a witchy person looking for a cool show to watch check out trickster on the cw um i have reviews of it up about that on the mary sue along with all sorts of other writing about sabrina and Rudy Giuliani thinking Game of Thrones is a real documentary, all sorts of stuff. So check me out on the Mary Sue. You can follow me on Twitter at FangirlingJess. You can follow the podcast at RealMagicPod. If you want to get in touch with the podcast and just uh, tell me that I shouldn't say like so much or all that or say something nice, you can email us at RealMagicPod at gmail.com. Uh, if you enjoy the show, please do subscribe say give us a rating or write a review if you write a review i'll make you the promise if it's nice and give us five stars i'll read it on air so we'll see how that goes but until then we will be back in two weeks with another witchy episode and you know going forward in the future when you have a problem just think what would sabrina do and then do the opposite bye Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye, cruel world. Goodbye, cruel world. Goodbye to life. Goodbye, goodbye. Goodbye, goodbye. Goodbye to all the others.